Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to Covered in Glory, and I'm sorry, my voice is a little bit raspy. As I just told Brett right before we went on the air, I absolutely did not need the last three shots I took last night or any of the ones that came before it. I am far too old for that crap nowadays, Brett. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I mean, I like this I like this hungover Toby in the morning podcast. Like, let's see how we can do here. I want to see what comes out of his mouth. Like, this is yeah. exciting. Hungover Toby in the morning is not going to be the next hit song on or hit show on Sirius or radio or anywhere else. I think this is going to get canceled after one episode and we've got to <laughs> return to recording at night. Um, so we previewed it a little bit last week, Brett, and I do want to jump right into the action this week because what a week we just had. So much news on and off the pitch wow. for us to cover today, Thanks. and it couldn't be more appropriate. The question I, I teed up for you at the uh, end of last episode was, which team do you feel after this transfer window is in the best position in the Premier League over the next, say, three to five years? And that was before the city news break. Right. So, <laughs> I imagine yeah. our, our answers might change slightly, but maybe not. I mean, I, let's uh, let's dive right into it. So if I gave you the chance right now to be the fan, and this isn't that unrealistic since uh, you're always on the precipice of ditching Everton, it seems like. If I gave you the chance to well, be... Well, Le- Leeds are dead to me now, though, because the other thing that happened was Jesse Marsh got fired. Oh, we'll be covering so. that as well. Yeah. Um but uh, if I gave you the chance to be a fan of any of the five teams and your goal was trophies, not the experience, uh, who would you be selecting right now? I went back and forth between two. God, oh, I'm going to throw up when I say this. I think after the sitting news, it's Newcastle. Wow, I, really? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy what Chelsea's doing. I think some of the stuff is interesting. We had that big discussion on them last week, but... I mean, they've just kind of hit a home run on everything that they've been doing. And we're only and and I think unlike City, who is about to get trashed for, you know, their ghost revenue streams that they've been generating to buy players like Kolarov back in 2014 or whatever. Um, Newcastle's sort of I mean, we don't we don't know. I guess we haven't seen the investigation into Newcastle's finances yet, but um, Newcastle's been slowly building. They've hit on a lot of pieces. They haven't gone nuts with big splashy signings. Um, they've obviously, you know, put a ton of money into the club, uh, but they've ju- they're just there already, and it's faster than I thought. Um, I mean, they're a legitimate threat to make the Champions League this year. I think it's between them. Uh, Arsenal's got a super young squad that's going on. Um, the Chelsea stuff, I mean, it just seems like they're living dangerously. I, I could go back and regret it there, um, but I, I guess. God, I hate it's Newcastle. Oh, I just hate myself. So, so, so hold on. You're saying they, they've already hit, but I mean, they seem to be relying a lot on Trippier, who's 32 years old. They did hit a home run with Guy Maurice. So there's no doubt about that. He's yeah. 25 and is an absolute essential player for them. But are you basically betting on their ability to continue to hit home runs 
in recruitment because if you look at their current squad, you can't possibly think the current edition of Newcastle is the best team over the next, you know, half No, decade. no, but I mean, you know, we're looking at that three to five year window, right? And I just kind of like the fact that they're taking a slow build of the approach. They're not, I mean, the, the Chelsea window has been bizarre in the sense that they have just brought in everybody all at once. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been a targeted, we need this. So we're going to take time to assess and bring this type of player in. Um, and I, I, I just like that. It's just been a steady, slow build. I think that like, if you're projecting forward, I think that gives me a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, Arsenal is, is also right up there. Like it was neck and neck. I just think the fact that there's probably going to be more money available to Newcastle was like the deciding factor for me. Um, and I mean, the Chelsea thing could be interesting. Like they're, they're taking huge, a huge swing right now. They're, they're loading up on these guys that are kind of pre prime age right now. Um, I mean, and so there's definitely a chance there, but yeah, with City out of the, the picture and Liverpool, um, again, again, our podcast is just pimping Ryan O'Hanlon pieces. Um, but Liverpool kind of having a breakdown, I think, behind the scenes in terms of the really smart stuff that was happening with their player acquisition, you know, kind of took them out of the picture. And Spurs, <laughs> Conte could leave next week. <laughs> so well, it's, I not, mean, it's not just Conte. I mean, like yeah. if you look at the seven teams that are under consideration here and, and Godspeed to the rest of the league. But uh, the seven teams that we're actively considering here, like nobody is more dependent on one player than Spurs. Right. And Harry right. Kane is getting, you know, he's about to enter his 30s in this window that we're talking about. Who knows how long he could do this? And like, I don't see exciting youth being integrated at Spurs for a long time now. And so if you're going to talk about a project and you're basically taking Newcastle on like a, a project basis, like you believe in the infrastructure and you believe in their ability to continue to recruit and bed players and, and do very well in that regard, Spurs are kind of the opposite. Like if Harry Kane had entered the Chelsea Academy or the Arsenal Academy at 14, like where would they even be? Uh, over the last decade. Right. And so like, as he ages, where are they going to be over the next decade? I think it's an extremely fair question. And then like Liverpool, I mean, I, I don't mean, I, I'm not, you know, digging their grave and putting dirt on it. Like Liverpool still has world-class talents uh, on the pitch. They're obviously struggling right now without Van Dyke. It's just been a disaster in the back without Diaz and without um, Jota. It's actually been a disaster in the front as well. And like, mm -hmm. I think we completely underestimated heading into this year, how much they were going to miss Mane. Like Nunez is not, he's not Mane. Um, and he's proven that over the last couple of weeks, if there was ever a shadow of a doubt. Um, but you know, they might have new owners. Klopp seems really unhappy, uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. He keeps complaining about rival spending, and that seems to be, you know, like subtweeting his own board to go out and do things that they don't typically do. But he's spending more time compl uh, complaining than ever. Post Klopp, they might go back to pre Klopp, where you know, they're kind of up and down a little bit more. and they also are starting to rely on some players that have aging legs like Salah and Van Dyke. So, well, I mean, the, the worrisome thing too, is we've seen the shift in their recruiting strategy, right? Toby, like when they, when they got Mane and when they went after Mo Salah, you could see it was the, the clear pattern of they looked at players who were kind of underperforming their goal scoring with expected goals. Regression comes for us all positive and negative. They get Salah at what looks like a bargain price, you know, looking back on it. But now with kind of Pep Linders and Klopp being uh, reportedly more involved in the transfer market, 
it's been Cody Gakpo. And what does Gakpo look like? He's like the typical coach guy, right? Like yeah. big, tall guy with some good foot skills. Like we're going to develop him into something. The underlying numbers aren't great. The production isn't great. Same thing with Darwin Nunez, big, fast, physical. Oh, we can acquire this guy. Who cares about the price? We'll turn him into something. Cause look at his, his physical tools. And that's worrisome, right? Like that is yeah. that if you're a Liverpool fan, like that is such a shift from Michael Edwards, you know? Yes. Um, and so that, that to me is the real troublesome thing is it's not just that they're, you know, some of their players are aging. It's who they're signing now and what those signings say about what they're valuing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you trust the Newcastle infrastructure to this regard because um, money does make a difference and they do have a track record of, you know, making the signs like Guy Maurice, but they're not going to bat a thousand forever. Right. Um, well, no, that, no team well, but yeah, yeah, no, no team well, exactly. And so like betting on, you know, them to improve the squad over the, over that period, I think the answer is Arsenal, uh, because Arsenal, I've already seen the guys like yeah. their, their, their core is mostly under like 27 and they're leading the league right now. And on like a nearly a hundred point pace. So seeing guys that are that young, uh, and the project come together, I guess like one reason I'm not all the way in is like, I'm, I'm coming around to Arteta, but I still think Arteta is in the same class as Pep or, or Klopp or, you know, Tommy Tuchel, RIP. Um, <laughs> all right. So I guess I'm, I, once I get all the way in on Arteta, um, then that will take that last little doubt away, but I, I'm not going to bet on the future project in this question. I'm going to bet on what my eyes are seeing right now. And those guys are awesome. They're playing extraordinarily well together. And I know they probably won't have the funds of a Newcastle a city or a Chelsea, but in this window, we're not talking about 10, 15 years in three to five years. I think they already have the horses to win the race. Yeah, and there's that's definitely a completely valid point. I'm just a cynic that just you know rues the capitalist approach of what's going on everywhere. Um, but no, I, I think that's 100 percent right. I mean, look at the jump Odegaard leap, the leap Odegaard has made. Uh, Saka's leap, Martinelli's obviously come into his own. I mean, there, there's a ton to like the, the center back pairing with uh, Salvo, Salvo and Gabriel and Ben White playing right back. So there's a ton. There's a ton to like. I mean. Don't get me wrong. I, I think they're set up. I'm just a cynic and I just want to be like money when rules all. And now that one of the other teams that has a, a state owned sponsor might get everything stripped from them and lose Pep Guardiola. If Pep sticks to his word, um, it was just hard for me not to be like, well, in five years, what the amount of money they're going to put into that team. So, so let's take it in that for a second. A week ago, if we had actually had time to tackle this question, would your answer have been city? <sighs> I honestly, they would have been part of the equation. I I don't know if I would have went there. I mean, because I think a big part of it is Pep is incredible. I think he is a great manager. There's some flaws with some things that he's done as far as like Benjamin Mendy's situation isn't a great. Cancelo just being like randomly shipped out. Obviously, there's been some temperamental things that clearly go on behind the scenes, but he's an incredible manager when he gets the talent. Like he turns it into a machine. We have seen that at every single stop. Um, and so it would have been a bet on Pep, I think, for me. If if City, if these sanctions had not come in, Pep with Halon, with the new, with some new blood maybe coming in, I, I think it would have been a bet on Pep. And I think I probably would have went City still. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it's interesting you just use the word sanctions coming in. Charges have come in. Charges. So if, yeah, if, if you Followed probably by sanctions. <laughs> well, no, but if you're a true cynic, our sanctions 
going to come and are they going to have actual teeth or is this going to be a fine that they can pay for under their under peps couch cushions you know what i mean like uh are they actually going to get a point reduction are they going to get a forced relegation are they going to get any of these things i have serious doubts they are going to hire the best i guess barristers uh money could buy they're going to drag this out this might not even be settled in the next three years um so i see all the charges and obviously they make for great headlines they make for great conversations on shows like this about what would happen if they were playing in league two uh but (laughs) i have a lot that's where my cynicism kicks in i have real doubt that yeah they're going to be forced into any position that's going to move pep out of the manager's box and like make kdb suddenly be playing for sunderland or something ridiculous yeah i i you know i'm with you too um obviously we you know we saw what happened with the last time they, they kind of got hit with a, a few sanctions they went to the panel they basically got it reversed and there was a smaller fine i I have doubts. Uh, I mean, these are this is a, this was clearly a very serious investigation. I mean, you're a lawyer, so you see, you saw the way they collected this evidence, the way that the, the, the broad spread of charges they're leveling against City. Um, it's going to go through a different panel. I agree with you. I think the obnoxious thing about this is it will be tied up in court. We don't know. No one seems to know what a timeline looks like, but it seems like with the amount of money that they can throw at it, with like you said, the number of barristers they can bring onto this. I just think the the obnoxious part about this isn't gonna isn't gonna even be when we know what's gonna happen. It's going to be it's going to be tied up probably in litigation forever. Yeah, um, and so like we might not even know the result of this till two or three years down the road. It seems like yeah. And in that case, I mean, my bigger question is, you know, is Holland still on the team a year or two from now? Yeah. Is KDB, you know, beyond it? Like life comes at you fast as we always talk about like right now i think he's still the best midfielder in, in arguably in the world but definitely in the premier league two years from now he could be washed all of a sudden you know what i mean and like uh even watching them in the first half against spurs without kdb like they didn't look great um i i know the athletic put out a great piece that talked about you know that uh game and the way that the charges were unveiled and they claimed that city had no idea that they were coming on monday but they sure looked distracted and i don't know if if they're they did know and like the reporting is wrong i doubt that to be true because the athletics usually write about most of this stuff they're really well sourced uh but I, I don't know how else to explain it other than if KDB is not on the field, they just look listless. So if he's going to age out a little bit, they obviously have to replace him. Haaland seems destined for Real Madrid. I mean, his agent gets paid every time he switches teams. Don't forget that. So <laughs> yeah. he ain't going to be on the team five years from now. Um, but I still, you know, kind of believe in their project. And even without Pep, I think they have now built the infrastructure to be a force. So unless they are playing in League Two, I think they're still going to be a really strong contender to be, you know, the most points over the next half decade. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing I would I would uh, add to that would be the player recruitment. Like that squad needs refreshing, as you pointed out, with like the ages of players like KDB, Mara's, et cetera. Um, even Bernardo Silva is getting past peak soccer age, and I don't want to talk about him very much. Um, you know, Kyle Walker's clearly kind of breaking down, not even starting close to regularly at this point. Um, and so if you're a player and city is trying to acquire you, it used to be a done deal. I'm going to go play for pep and get paid a bunch of money yeah. to play in the premier league. You know, now if you're a player or your player's agent who's advising him and you're like, well, we don't know. 
now City's stuck in a weird limbo where it's it's kind of like a shadow transfer ban, right? Like, yeah, that's a really interesting sen- point. In the sense that I don't know how easily they are going to be able to refresh the, the squad. Now, as long as they're continuing to spend, money does talk. You will get some players that are like, screw it, I'll just go make and make a bunch of money if they get sanctioned or whatever. I'll just get transferred out and be fine. But I, I do think it might slow them down in the chase for some players that they're looking to acquire because of that uncertainty. Um, and so I, I, it's going to be a really weird <laughs> stretch with all this. Like it, it definitely was one of the biggest sports bombshells we've probably seen recently in terms of what it's going to mean both retroactively and going forward for what has been the, you know, dynastic team in the premier league. Yeah. Uh, that's an excellent point about the recruitment and the uncertainty, but there's only about 10 teams in the world that could afford the wages that they pay. So yeah. I imagine they're going to swallow some uncertainty for 250 quid. That, that's why I included the money talks caveat. There will <laughs> definitely be mercenaries like me that would be like, yeah, whatever. I'll just take money and go. Uh, I do want to talk about this week's games. Obviously that's the focus of the, of the podcast, but I, I think we have to, we have to say at least the word United, like they are a bit of a sleeping giant in this conversation because they're going to get rid of the Glazers. Uh, I think that their owners have, really trashed that franchise uh, ever since Sir Alex has left. And I think once they're turned around, like Rashford's a gem. Rashford is basically the new Harry Kane. Uh, came up young through the team, is scoring over and over again, is going to be really important to one club. I don't think he's going anywhere. Not a lot of uh, off-field controversy for that guy. Does all sorts of humanitarian work. I think he's a staple of, of this half decade that we're talking about, and I think you can build an entire team around him, just like the Spurs have built around Kane, but they have more money and better recruitment and new owners that are going to want to make a splash. And we've seen it, you know, particularly at Chelsea, but around the league, when new owners come in, they want new shiny toys and uh, United still is one of the top five revenue clubs in the world. So they make a ton of money. And even though they're not at the height that they were at Sir Alex, uh, I do think that they have an excellent chance to be a constant uh, presence in the um, champions league. And at the top of the premier league table, once they change the ownership group. Yeah, I mean, and again, there's there's obviously the unknown with that aspect too. Um, but the clearly they the financial power was there, and the Glaciers were doing their part to make sure that they did not utilize it <clears throat> to great effect because they would rather take that money for themselves. Um, obviously, the way that they acquired United was through that leverage buyout, which basically heaped all the debt onto the club. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting time. I mean, I think even to a degree, uh, teams like Chelsea and teams like Newcastle are probably seeing like, oh, man, like if something happens to City, uh, we might not just do this thing. We're like, yeah, we're, we can't we can't get caught up with financial fair play or, you know, the FA or anything. If there's some teeth to this, it's also going to probably change the spending habits of these other teams. So uh, I'm I am very curious to see how it plays out. I think, obviously, as per usual, we'll be slightly disappointed with the money and power influence and how these things usually turn out in the real world. But uh, it's clearly up into the premier league. It's going to bring a ton of, th- of questions about how this is going to shape up going forward. It's not just going to be a city arsenal, maybe United, you know, Chelsea top four fight with Newcastle kind of maybe poking their head in there. Um, it's wide open. Now the premier yeah. league just lost its top dog essentially in, in a couple of ways. And I, I just think it's going to be a really weird few years. 
it's really exciting um, to have a wide open Premier League with this much money pouring into it and this much recruitment and, you know, not all the world's best players, but a good portion of the world's best players and not just the best players because obviously Messi and Mbappe, et cetera, like they're always going to have a home with the PSGs and the Barces and the Real Madrid, particularly in the world. But the squad depth that is now present to the Premier League, like, like the quality, you know, one through 20 at so many different teams. And then the teams that used to have only one, one guy that was just, you know, about to be sold off to one of the big players. They suddenly have three or four because of the money that's even flowing into the the bottom half of the Premier League. So really exciting time. We didn't talk much about Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea does not, as far as we know, have the same problems as City. Like they are spending way too much money and they might have a financial fair play problem, but they don't have the shadow sponsorship, like the ghost sponsorship <laughs> yeah, problem. Yeah. Uh, and so like they're doing it from what we can see above board and everybody can see how stupid they think it is uh, rather than how shady the city did it. So I'm not saying that they're never going to escape. Uh, I'm, I'm being a little bit careful about what I say about city. Cause I'm inside of a glass house, but it is a little <laughs> bit of a, a different situation. Yes, and as long yeah. as, as long as they don't take a forced rel- like they could take a transfer ban. Like they just bought five transfer windows worth of players in the last two, maybe 10, like uh, it's a lifetime for an Everton fan. Um, and so they are now really well set up, even if they got a transfer ban and the transfer ban is not going to come in before this summer. And, you know, they'll buy a defensive midfielder, maybe a striker, maybe a goalkeeper. They're going to have a team that's well set for this five-year window. Uh, so my power rankings over the next five years are as follows. It's Arsenal. It's Chelsea. Uh, call me a homer, but whatever. Like they just spent a billion dollars. That team's sick. Uh, it's city. It's United. Then it's Newcastle. Then it's Liverpool. Then it's Spurs. That's how I'd rank them. Yeah, I, I think if I if I did it, I think it would be Newcastle, Arsenal, um, probably Chelsea number three, and then I think you know it's going to be dependent on what happens at United. I mean, not every new owner. We are not guaranteed that the new owner is going to be better than the Glazers, right? <laughs> um, so I mean, I, I would say somewhere in that mix, uh, you could throw United, Liverpool, City, kind of wherever between three through six. And then I think Spurs are the seven. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that was fun. Um, I just thought about it a lot after that January window of how these teams are shaking out. Then the city news made it even more pertinent to talk about. So uh, let us get out of the future and back to the present and cover this week's games right after this break. Spoiler alert, you're not going to win every bet you place. But with Caesars Sportsbook, win or lose, every bet gives you reward credits and tier credits, which you can exchange for the best perks in the game. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app and start earning with Caesars Rewards. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, we are back and we are finally ready to talk about some games. We are going to do these in chronological order because there is no bangers this week between big clubs. Uh, So we are going to go... For the Saturday, 7.30 a.m. game, West Ham, 17th, 17th and 19 points versus Chelsea, ninth at 30 points. Chelsea is plus 124. West Ham is plus 230. The draw is plus 220. Our friends at Caesars have Chelsea minus half a goal at plus 115. West Ham and minus 145. So, Brett, uh, I was obviously wrong last week about Chelsea versus Fulham uh, and, you know, my excitement over all the transfers and their ability to put in goals. And then they played a bit of a damp squid of a nil-nil game. You won the draw bet. And I've got to say right now, spoiler alert, uh, you won the only bet either of us hit in our five-point last week. It was was a brutal week. Brutal week. Brutal week for your boys. So we're going to try to do better this week. But (laughs) what the hell did we even watch last week? Um, That was just unbelievable. Like up and down the table, like Wolves beating uh, Liverpool, Arsenal (laughs) losing to Everton, uh, that nil-nil draw, like, it was just kind of, and then Spurs beating City, like it was kind of insanity up and down the pitch. And so I think our we, we are through the looking glass, Toby. <laughs> dude, I I don't even know. I I I should say I didn't have power uh, for six days because I live in Austin, and anytime it's thirty degrees in Austin, we all all enter a lottery over whose life is about to get ruined. And my number came up uh, this last time, so I had to watch all of these games once my power came back uh, Monday. You know, whenever it came back on Monday, so like I was like living through this like on my app, like on on FOTMOB and, and ESPN, like tracking this stuff and. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the results that were pouring in. Um, but we, I'm sure we'll get to those as we, we get into each game. Uh, but you've already said the key phrase for me, Brett, and I'm, I'm not going to hide it. I'm going with Chelsea again. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for my pick last week. I'm not going to apologize for my pick again this week. Because, as you said, regression comes for all of us except for Messi. And it's got to come for Chelsea in the positive way. Their XG in the last uh, four games is 1.33, 1.65. And Jao Felix is coming back. And Jao Felix, in the brief time that we saw him, was an absolute firecracker on that team in terms of uh, chance creation and taking guys on and things like that. So if Mason Mount uh, is not in the lineup, I'd feel even better. I got really frustrated when I when I did watch the Chelsea game. I, or I made that happen. Um, anytime Reese James, Enzo Fernandez. 
Yeah, anytime for Reese James and Enzo Fernandez and, and Mudrick's going to make his full debut, I've got to be there. Um, but Mount not following that Havers chip up, like I does he not watch Chelsea? Like how? Why did he? Why was he so certain that ball was going in that he didn't follow and crash the box for a tap in? I would have bet that it wasn't going in just because I watch them every week, and that seems to be how going uh, how things are going for us right now. He needs to break. Mason needs a break. We we can't play him and Gallagher together. Uh, he's off of his form. He needs a, uh, a game or two to kind of sit back, maybe get a little bit of rest on his legs, and then come back in. Um, and then on the other side for West Ham, Paqueta and, and Emerson are playing well, but they're struggling up top. Suchik doesn't seem quite the same player that he used to be. They drew Newcastle one-to-one, but other than that, they've really struggled against uh, the best teams this year. They only have one point against the, the traditional big six, and that was a draw against Spurs. So you put it all together, the chance creation, Jow coming back, not being exactly bullish on West Ham right now uh, and how they play against the big squads, and I'm more than happy to get plus 124 on Chelsea to win this match. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, this one was tough because of the Felix thing. Um, we're basically judging. I mean, he got sent off what, like 58 minutes into his first match. So we're judging his impact off like 58 minutes. So, which were really fantastic. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was really promising to see him out there and the chances he was creating the pressure he was putting on the opponents in the final third. Um, but when you look at the underlying numbers, like, like this is this is why like expected goals is a useful metric it's why the league table lies um you know west ham is sitting in 17th chelsea is in ninth i believe and but yet in the table of the uh, the xg table or the table of what are they called the uh table of fairness or something in brentford um it is west ham three slots ahead of chelsea uh in the xg 90 difference so go ahead take them take them on the money line don't I'm take the coward's way out. Don't take all the coward's way out. Let me oh, hear it's it. a coward's way out. Life. It's a coward's way it out is. kind of week. It's a coward's way out kind of week. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they're, they're, uh, we're talking about teams that are due for a positive regression kind of thing, um, which I don't think that seems like an oxymoron. Um, but for a bounce back in variance, um, I, I think it's West Ham. And I think we're going to see them climb up the table. And this is a very classic David Moyes things, by the way, as an Everton fan of looking like crap. And we're going to get relegated for the first like four months of the year and then just rising up to eighth, uh, you know, and we're sitting there in eighth place in May. Uh, very classic David Moyes. I've seen this movie lots of times. <laughs> um, so I, I think that they're going to be better. Jared Bowen's uh, underlying numbers have perked up as well as finishing. Hopefully it will, it will come along with it if you're a West Ham fan. Um, and Chelsea, I, I still think there's, there's questions, you know, the Mount thing is a big, big issue for me. Um, I, I think I'm super interested to see what happens when Felix comes back and doesn't get sent off. Um, this could very well look like a bad bet in hindsight. If he is the firecracker that he was, if he really pushes them to a new level going forward. Um, but again, for me, it's just like, there's so many questions with Chelsea right now. What's happening with with Mason Mount? Why is Connor Gallagher still playing? Like, you know, what is Jal Felix going to look like? So uh, this is this is going to be a really interesting stretch for to watch Chelsea. I think to see how they coalesce and come together with these new new pieces. I just can't make a very good observation on how to bet them yet, right? Yeah. And so because of that, that's why the draw looks appealing. You have a pretty strong opponent in West Ham. We don't know what's going on with Chelsea. We know David Moyes just stick with West Ham. We know they've been playing better. 
The attack has gotten a little bit better. There's they generate a ton of chances off set pieces. So that draw at plus 220 just seems like a good number just with the way that these clubs are trending. Um, and it's just hard for me to go one way or the other. Now, again, Jal Felix could light it up and then Chelsea could win this 3-0 and I could look like yeah. a fool. But it's hard to say. We just don't know. Yeah. Well, one thing I don't have questions about is the money they spent on Enzo, even after watching oh, him again. Really yeah. He looked so freaking good in that game. That's one yeah. reason I am really bullish uh, on Chelsea to have this, like, you know, what did you call it? Positive regression. <laughs> what, what <was> the <laughs> whatever oxymoron. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it's why I feel so good about it. And, like, the biggest difference um, in, in watching Enzo on there was he wins the ball back it instantly breaks a line with a pass. And so watching him like win these tackles and then pivot and like turn and like hit 30 yard balls up the field. It's such a relief after watching years and years of like Jorginho passing, you know, sideways and backwards. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so like Jorginho would win the ball. King of the square pass. Yeah. He would square it out to the, to the wing to try to create, you know, uh, play down, play down the sideline. Enzo wins the ball and he's just trying to release uh, Mudrick or, um, or, uh, gosh, I'm sorry, uh, Sterling or anybody else that he was playing with. Nani, I think, looked pretty good in, in his second half performance. And I just think it's going to unlock so much on like a counterattacking basis because Chelsea's been god awful on counterattacks for the last uh, two seasons. And I don't know, man. I mean, I'm, I've still got all the hope from me from all those signings. The draw against Fulham didn't take it out. Fulham actually looked really good in that game. Jedi Robinson looked awesome. Even the ghost of William um, was really <laughs> impressive out there. <laughs> So I name not, our podcast the Ghost of Flame. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh I, I'm I'm happy with my bet and I'm so happy with it. I am doubling down and taking Chelsea to win and over 1.5 because I think there's gonna be they're gonna score multiple goals in this game. I can see them 2-0 or 2-1 pretty easily here. You get up to plus 205 on that. And another prop I like, I just I, I like all the Jal Felix props. I I really believe the one I saw. I think they're going to bench Mount. I think they're going to play him with, uh, with some speed wings around him, and I think he's going to be awesome sitting behind Havertz or whoever. Maybe they'll play Fofana up top. Uh, but I like him. The two I like the most are Jal Felix assist is plus three fifty, which I think is a, an amazing number. Um, and I also really like Jal Felix one shot on target is minus 150. So it's not much juice at all for him to take somebody on one-on-one and pepper the keeper with a shot. Yeah. I mean, a Dow Felix bets definitely seem great. I mean, West Ham isn't, you know, like a true bunker town team, you know, like way early Moyes Everton era teams were, but you know, they're definitely going to concede possession. They're going to give up some of the ball. Um, And so, you know, they're, they're going to face some shots um, and Jal Felix is the most brilliant attacker on the pitch. So I like yeah. Jal Felix related attacking numbers, um, but you know, you know what you do, Toby, after you have a tough week, like we did, um, you pick exact score lines, right? That's what you do. <laughs> With you a know? defender to score. Like, uh, oh, that's that's, oh, that's coming later. I am oh doubling <laughs> down in my spiral. I am just diving headfirst down the well of sadness. Um, <laughs> that actually should be the name of our podcast. Is the well, well of sadness. Well of sadness. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got a, we got a bunch of options if we ever need to rebrand. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, to me, it, it's still, again, the question, it's just questions. It's not that I don't see the argument for it. It's just the questions of how it all comes together with the Chelsea attack. But the draw at 1-1, the exact score on is plus 525. Very hard to see West Ham uh, get to two goals. 
Chelsea has generated kind of about between one, one and a half expected goals in a lot of their matches recently. So you see them right in that range and you're getting plus 525 for the most likely goal outcome with each team, um, yeah. in my opinion. So I I really like that bet. And I, I think it's going to be um, something that I look back on and say, that was really stupid. Um, but at <laughs> least as of now, with the information that we have in front of me, with the uncertainty about how the Chelsea attack is going to look, it could be awesome. Enzo looks great. I mean, he was one of our favorite players during the World Cup. Really cool to see him hit the ground running in the Premier League in his first match. Um, so, I mean, again, could look horrible in hindsight, but with everything that's in front of me right now, like that's just where I had to go. Cool. Well, I know we spent a little bit of time on Chelsea, but I'm biased. They're my yes, team. Yeah. We, we talked about like them a bunch. Shadow, they, it's a shadow Chelsea podcast. Well, they're also the most interesting team. Which I mean, is why the ghost of William actually makes a bunch of sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to some other teams, though. Speaking of interesting teams, that would not include Leicester City, who is 14th at 21 points uh, versus Tottenham, 5th at 39 points Saturday at 10 a.m. Caesars has Spurs at plus uh, 111, Leicester at plus 225, the draw at plus 255. The Spurs minus half a goal is plus 100. Leicester is minus 130. So, Brett, where the hell have they been hiding the Spurs team that showed up against City last week? And why aren't they that team every single week? Like, that that came out of nowhere. I've been fading them forever, but they overwhelmed City. I mean, the most obvious example is the incredible play Hoiberg made, just completely pantsing Rodri and turning around and, and <laughs> unlocking the uh, the goal. That was the clear highlight. Um, City was a little unlucky with Mares hitting the underside of the bar and Alvarez potentially being a double agent. I haven't ruled that out yet after watching that match. Uh, but the City team is the headline there more than than I'm sorry, the Spurs team was the headline over the City. So where where has that been? Do you think that is their actual level? Or was there some sort of, you know, super serum running through their veins that gave them the powers for one week to take down City, but we should keep fading them? I, you know, I said it before the match. City Spurs matches are freaking weird. <laughs> they yeah. just get so weird. And, it, and this was this was another one where it was just like, where is this coming from? Right. Like, where are these goals coming from? Where why, where is this Spurs team coming from? Um I think, I think, you know, the big picture to zoom back, um, obviously single game XG isn't a great barometer, especially with game states, you know, included, but on the balance of chances that probably should have been a draw, you know, you talked about a couple of the city chances that could have easily been goals on a luckier day. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you know, if we're talking about a draw, we probably see this game through a different lens a little bit, but to me, the big thing for, from watching that match was, uh, why did you get rid of Jao Cancelo? <laughs> yes. And what is the what what happens to this city team when Jack Grealish is literally their only creator? You gotta remember, Mares is 31. So yeah. the idea of counting on him to pick up the the gap with De Bruyne out with no Cancelo on the pitch, like that was the embarrassment of Rich's city had, right? When you had a, a lineup that had Jack Grealish, even though he's gotten a lot of flack, Kevin De Bruyne and Jao Cancelo. The chance creation, the ability to push the ball in the dangerous spots in the final third, the fact that you and I would pass out from, I can't use that on this podcast, but the, the, get really excited about an outside of the boot Cancelo pass that unlocks a, a goal scoring opportunity. Um, you know, th that wasn't there. It, it's now Rico Lewis. It's now Bernardo Silva kind of taking the De Bruyne role. It's a sort of 
looking more washed by the match Gunduan. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not great. Like it's really, there's an issue here with, with chance creation that we have not seen with city under pep in a long time. It is very much Jack Grealish trying to create chances for everybody else. And we saw that. I think that's part of like, when we look at it saying maybe the news shocked him, they looked a little flat to me. It was just like, where are the guys that create chances for him? You know, Bernardo Silva is a great player, but he's kind of a connector in a yeah. lot of ways. He fills gaps. He does. He's pretty good at a lot of different things. He is not Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> Rico Lewis. Well, it all comes back to KDB. I mean, it yeah. all comes back to KDB. Where's the chance yeah. creation comes from? It comes from his magical right boot. Um, and when he wasn't on the pitch, I mean, they looked absolutely listless and they looked a little lost. And Holland yeah. was like, Holland was making like, he was like, I'm, we're, well, I'm sure we can get to this in the city, but hell, we're talking about, let's do it now. Holland was like dropping deeper, right? Like not like deeper in like to the midfield, but deeper in the, in the attacking third, he was like presenting himself much closer to the top of the box in order to, uh, come with like a release valve or to try to create chances instead of making those like dive bomb runs right at the goal mouth that uh, often finds him on the end of crosses that why is he has 30 goals or whatever he has. And so without him making those runs and having to alter his attacking third style, they just didn't have opportunities that we always see them have when they're playing a normal way. And then like put Rico Lewis, like pinch him to the inside to play more of almost like a, a midfield holding position instead of the wingback where they used to have Jao Cancelo. None of it made sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, the same thing, too, with the, the fact that, you know, Pep doubled down on the fact that he had no Cancelo, no De Bruyne to start the game. And, uh, you know, Julian Alvarez is out there and kind of like a two striker Ugh. formation. Right. And so Alvarez, you uh, know, one striker in that game, uh, <laughs> calling Alvarez a striker is, is a slander against the rest of strikers. Yeah. And I mean, Alvarez is, you know, maybe going to hope turn into what Brighton wanted Neil Malpay to be, um, but he's not there yet. He's just kind of like a hardworking young player. He doesn't do a lot of, you know, intricate passing things. He, he basically presses really well. He can get on the end of some chances. Like he's not a guy that you can say, okay, well, we have enough creation around him so we can play these two strikers. And if, if you have Grealish, De Bruyne and Cancelo all in the lineup, you can get away with that. When you take two of those three out, it looks like it did. And it makes you know, Holland have to do things he shouldn't be doing. It shows kind of the warts of Alvarez. Like it's not, it's not great. And I really think the Cancelo thing is going to, is going to haunt city again. We don't know the behind the scenes. Maybe he said millions of disparaging thing about Pep's relatives. Who knows? Um, so like, but that match to me, that was the Cancelo match. We had yeah. Rico Lewis in that spot trying to do the things that Cancelo can do. And he is not that player and it shown through. And the domino effect of that was very clear. Yeah. Um, so we, we couldn't draw much conclusions about Spurs because we were drawing too many conclusions. About about City, City. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about the Spurs match here, but, but yeah, we, I think, I think it was good to touch on that match. So here's the thing. I, we say all that, we put it all on City. We say Spurs games are weird, and yet I am going to go the opposite. The first time probably since we've come back, Spurs plus 111. Toby, what's going on here? Because that's my place to put my money. Why Why yeah. are we seeing a plus number against Leicester? What's going on here? Uh, I am taking the exact same thing, and I have a similar question. I don't think that was Spurs' level. Um, I, I think they really got up for that match, and they tend to not get up for games against kind of squads like Leicester. So I, that would be the reason to not take them. Yeah. But 
and I, I will continue to fade Spurs, I think, overall, until they, they string two or three great results together. But Leicester, holy hell, guys. I mean, they, they <laughs> played like a straight fan. up. They played like a straight up effort game last week. Like we are, let's just see what happens. They yeah. end up in a four-two game against Villa. Extremely entertaining. Five goals in the first half, but like there didn't seem to be any organization or any real tactics on either side of the pitch. It was a schoolyard game. Uh, they drew with Brighton, but then they lost four straight before that. So even if I wanted to fade Spurs, I want to fade Lesser even harder. Um, and <laughs> no, the, as a result, I have to take Spurs. Um, plus 111 is pretty good with a uh, plus number. And like the reverse fixture, I mean, I know it was way back in the before times before the World Cup, and a lot has changed since then. But Spurs threw six on them. Spurs threw six on them. It was six two in the reverse fixture. And Leicester seems pathologically incapable of not giving up multiple goals per game. So I, I don't think they can hang with Spurs, and I'm happy to get a plus number. Yeah. And I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to take the plus 290 Spurs win both the score. Um, Still not super trusting. I know they had the clean sheet against City, but that was rather lucky. Clean sheet. Uh, talking about players to fade, Hugo Lloris would still be one of those. Yeah. Um, well, so Lloris is injured, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. He is out. Um, and I, I do think that with Leicester City, we saw a double pivot of like Tillman's. I think Dewsbury Hall was the other midfielder. So yeah. Literally, no. Extremely British name. Yeah. Extremely uh, British name. I love Very it. British Dewsbury name. Hall. A Downton Abbey character for sure. <laughs> um, but like when you play a midfield like that, <laughs> you are definitely not stopping goals. <laughs> like yeah. you said, it was an effort game in terms of like, and Dady's not the same player, so we just won't play him. We'll just play all attacking guys. Um, yeah, so I, I really think that this is going to be kind of a track meet. I think it's going to open the game up a little bit. I think it's going to allow uh, for Leicester. And Leicester still has good attacking players. Like, let's, you know, not forget, like, Ian has been very good in, in stretches. James Madison might be another sun-level XG defier. Um you know, and then they 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 threw in some new attacking talent. They're clearly just going to go with like no defensive midfielders and try to just go all out on attack. So yeah. I think they get one, um, and I definitely think City score, especially with Kulishevsky back in the mix like that. Yes, so plus two ninety is great. He has a lot of time on his hands, so I assume Frank Lampard was watching that game. It was like, yes, that's what I've been going for. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we'll talk about Frank Lampard. That's coming up. <laughs> um, so I agree with the the track meet assessment. I think one good bet in a track meet is one you and I both really like. Um, it's not my official prop, but I, I did write it down, which is Spurs come from behind and win. It's all the way up to plus 750. So Ooh, if they give up the like first that. goal, Ooh. yeah, if they give up the first goal, then you're getting eight to one for them to win after right, that. Yeah. I think is a great number. Uh, particularly as crazy as these Leicester games seem to be. Um, the one I, the one I'm giving out and will actually be in my five point later is Spurs score first half is minus 125. So Leicester has allowed goals in, in five of the last six first halves, and it's often like two goals. Um, they are <laughs> just going nuts from the opening thing, like a kid on Halloween who's had too much sugar and is acting out Cornholio. And like, this is just going to be an open game and to get almost even uh, money for Tottenham just to score in that 45. I liked a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, I love that. That come from behind a win bet that <laughs> that's a great bet and making me reconsider my life choices. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, all good stuff, man. Cool. All right. Uh, good stuff happening at Arsenal, obviously, since they're top of the table at 50 points. And this week they're taking on Brentford, seventh at 33 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. 
Arsenal is minus 260. Brentford is plus 750. The draw is plus 360. Arsenal minus a goal and a half is plus 105. And Brentford is minus 135. Uh, so I know we have Everton coming up here in a minute, but what were your Arsenal takeaways? Not your Everton takeaways. We'll get to this in a minute, pal. Your Arsenal takeaways from that, that shocking loss to Everton last week. Uh, it was a weird... Uh, Weird, weird match in terms of how much they struggled to create, create clean chances. But again, this was the dice thing at Burnley. It was defending the, in the low block most of the game, put a ton of bodies between um, shooters and the goal frame. Like, and they just never got a clean look. And it was weird <laughs> to say the least. You know, um, it was very strange. Obviously, I think there was a, a this is it's more it was more Everton, I think, than it was anything to do with Arsenal. I think it was a peak dice performance in the fact that Arsenal never got a clean look at goal. There was no big chances really on their end. Uh, I think it was kind of a one off. I definitely don't think it was something where you're like, uh oh, here comes the fall. Um, as I have Brentford written down here. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I do. I do think that it was very shocking that they could not really create such a, like a clear cut big chances against the team that was struggling so bad defensively. This could reflect more on Frank Lampard <laughs> going forward as we get yeah. more data points, looking back on this about how badly he opened up Everton. Um, but it still was kind of weird to me. Like yeah. that, that, that is concerning that they had trouble that much trouble creating clean looks against a little block. But again, one match, Great yeah. track record before this. No signs of slippage otherwise. I don't think they're in trouble. I just think it was kind of a one-off thing. Yeah. I mean, I had questions about whether their death is starting to catch up with them just a little bit. Like, Trissard came on and looked okay. Jorginho didn't do much of anything. Those were their kind of depth signing in January. But most of the time, they're rolling out the same 11, you know, once or twice a week. Uh, in perpetuity. And so I don't know if that's catching up to them at all. I think to your point about being a small sample size, we'll have to observe that a little bit more over the the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm willing to write this one game off as a fluke, but I think this line is disrespectful to Brentford. We don't talk about Brentford a lot on this show um, because, you know, just the way the calendar has fallen, I think it's probably been a couple months since we talked about it, but Brentford's having a great season. They, They beat Liverpool. They beat United. They beat city. They drew against the Spurs, they drew against Chelsea, and they haven't lost a league game by multiple goals since October 23rd. I think this is also a classic, classic look-ahead game for Arsenal since they have their massive um, conflict with City coming up next Wednesday. So I don't think they're going to empty the tank knowing they need to um, at least draw with City to really feel good about staying at the top of the table. And I'm getting Brentford. At you know, they only have to stay within one goal. They don't even have to like win or tie yeah. this game. They only have to stay within one goal. And I'm only paying that juice. So give me Brentford plus a goal and a half, minus 135. No shots at Arsenal. But I just I think it's disrespectful. And I think Brentford can keep it close. Yeah. I mean, Brentford Brentford has a weird, they're definitely not like a super consistent like range of outcome team. Um, but they have the capability too of like uh, you know, whenever we talk about taking kind of that plus number or the like getting a cover from a team that's, you know, the underdog. I talk about win equity. I want to see win equity. There's some win equity here for both. Oh, yeah. too. Like 100%. that's the thing they, they have, they have shown in these matches 
and with their play style, that there is the ability for this team. This is not just like a, we hope they hang on with to a one goal loss. There's win equity in this number, which is why I had to take it. Um, and I, I mean, I think the other thing too, is like, you look at a team like Brentford, the way they're put together there, you know, Ivan Tony obviously has a great season. I think he's a really good player. He's definitely improved from his first year in the premier league, but like there isn't a lot around him, but this team manufactures goals. And so the both teams to score yes number was even, it was plus a hundred. Um, I definitely think Brent Brentford has opened up a lot more this year. So they're way more likely to concede a goal unless David Raya stands on his head. Um, but I'm trusting their attack more, uh, even despite the fact that, you know, when you look at the names like Embuemo and Wissa, like you're not going to be like, oh my God, look at that attacking firepower at Brentford. Um, but they find, I mean, if you look at their their chances, the way they create chances, like they find ways to score goals. It's really impressive. Um, if you are still, if you have come on from the World Cup and you're still looking for a team, Brighton or Brentford, that's it. Yeah. Just pick one of these guys. You'll feel good about everything. They're the two smartest teams in the league right now. Yeah. Like they're moving away at the table. I, I just think that that both that both teams score at even money, basically plus a hundred. I I just think that's a weird number. I, it just seems like Arsenal's been more vulnerable. Brentford knows how to manufacture goals. I, I just like that number a lot. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about the struggles and chance creations, and I'm worried that it's going to be a look-ahead game. So I I see the logic in, in what you just put forth, but I'm going under two and a half goals. I think one one both bets would hit, but under two and a half yeah. goals is plus one fifteen. Um, after watching Arsenal and thinking that they might play a little bit more of a defensively organized game against Brentford, uh, I think that you know that's a that's a, a good number and plus everybody bets overs, and so you always get a little extra juice playing the boring boring under bet uh all right so we got our we got so much more to talk about brett but we have so little time so we're gonna take another quick break i absolutely do want to talk about the jesse marsh uh news though so let's get to that right after this break When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back and we are covering Leeds 16th at 19 points versus Man United third at 43 points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m., even though we just saw it yesterday. A very weird back-to-back <laughs> matchup yeah. between these uh, two teams. United is minus 116. Leeds is plus 290. The draw is plus 275. Manchester United minus half a goal is minus 120. Leeds is minus 110. All right, so let's we got to talk about it, uh, given the possible impact on our beloved Stars and Stripes. Pour some out for Jesse Marsh. Um, what were your, what was your reaction when you heard the news? 
Uh, it's. It, I mean, it came out. There's some reports, basically, that like Victor Orta, the sporting director, um, who's actually done, a, I think, is putting together a really interesting project. Was kind of against the firing. Turns out, it was probably more board pressure that forced him out, which is the the classic overreaction to where we are on the table, not the underlying results. Uh, it was a very unfair firing. I would have said that no matter what nationality of the manager. Uh, you know, Leeds are kind of a bang average team. I think they're like 12th, kind of an expected goal difference per 90. Um, you know, they've been playing, they've tightened up a little bit. They added some pieces like McKinney in the transfer window. You know, they're still, we're kind of recovering from selling Phillips and Rafinha Bamford basically being a shell of himself with injuries. They put in a ton of young attacking talent. They were turning over the squad a little bit and yeah, like they were 17th and losing to forest where Brennan Johnson kind of like hits a CNI goal through a bunch of legs uh, off a set piece kind of bounce around situation. Like that's uh, like, that's a weird reactionary fire. And it it really, I feel badly for Jesse Mars. I think he was doing fine. It's just, this is what happens. Like this is where we see the poor decision-making in soccer, right? There was no replacement immediately lined up. It was a reactionary firing, losing to Forrest. Uh, you know, after a string of a couple bad results, the underlying numbers say leads are going to be fine. That's yeah. teams like Brentford teams like Brighton. Brighton could have fired Graham Potter basically in the same spot and they didn't. And then look what happened last year with how much they turned it around and they were hanging in the top four for a little bit like that. That's why you trust these metrics. That's why you trust the underlying numbers. That's why you, you trust the process of things. This was a reactionary firing. It's really too bad because I think what they were putting together was a really interesting project for, for Marsh. He got a bunch of players that fit his style of play, that Red Bull style of play that he does. And they, they were young. And, you know, Nanto is coming on. The, the young winger that they have who scored against United has, has been coming on. Looks like he's going to be a real player. And then you just kick this guy out the door. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's it's such a silly irrational soccer take and and clearly with the reporting that came out it was just you know on board members just being unhappy that they're not winning you know and so do get you out of here do you want jesse marsh to be the next u.s men's national team manager <sighs> i th- i think so just because he's overqualified to be a national team manager like you just be getting a really good manager i mean if you look at the levels that he's managed at he's managed two champions league team and a premier league team. Now, granted, there have been some pretty crap managers that have also done that, but you're not going to really get much more probably for the U S men's national team job. The question would be, does that hyper frenetic style translate well, when you can only work with a team like for two weeks, every three or four months, I don't know. I still think he's probably better in the aggregate. If you bring him on than if you just bring on, type dude so yeah i think it would be it would be a huge i think it would be a huge get i i don't know if there if it wouldn't come with some flaws and some setbacks but i think he would be the clear cut choice now yeah i'm i gotta admit i'm slightly torn um i liked the ambition when i heard they were calling like the zidans of the world like i i don't know if we have to have uh a u.s manager just because we're hosting it in 2026 if we are going to have a native i pray it's jesse marsh and not like trundle or anybody else i i just he's by far the the best american manager right now 
Uh, but you know, I'd like them to call Yorgi Lowe. I'd like them to call Tuchel. I'd like them to call Van Gaal, see if he's got one more tournament in him. Like, I'd just like them to make those calls before they just slide uh, somebody with the U.S. passport into the chair. But if they do, it's got to be Marsh. I, I, it'll be hard to accept any other result. Uh, but we got four more years to talk about the U.S. men's national teams. Probably four more years to talk about the manager search as slow as they're moving. Uh, <laughs> this particular game, watching Leeds yesterday was, uh, without Jesse Marsh, uh, obviously, you know, heavy on the mind. But it was still super fun to see McKinney and Adams again. Like, it reminded me of that um, famous photo from when Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were at dinner and they had an empty chair and they were, like, tweeting it like LeBron. Like, <laughs> let's just do that for Musa right now. Let's get start sending the empty chair pick to Musa. Let's just reunite the entire band in the yeah. Leeds midfield. I'd be so excited. Um but in watching in watching that game, that was a freak result yesterday. United put up 24 shots. Yeah. They dominated them on XG. Leeds got uh, a goal in the first minute, which was hilarious because I was with Sal uh, and Sal said, you know, what should I bet? And I was like, I don't know. Manchester United clean sheet and then Leeds score in the first minute. <laughs> so more great advice from me as I watched Sal lose his bet within one minute of, uh, of kickoff, um, which was perfect. Uh, but... Um, they did get that, and then they got you know, kind of the, the Veron bank shot, which is unusual. Uh, United did struggle quite a bit without Casemiro. Like Leeds' energy was overwhelming them completely in the midfield, so there is a chance that can happen again. Uh, but just because of the pure dominance elsewhere, United showed yesterday, getting them at minus 116 instead of a heavier juice to uh, win a game that they just played that they should have won yesterday, I'm more than happy to back. Yeah, and I want to go back, and I don't know who I need to talk to, Ari scrubbing things from the internet, but that whole thing of, I think United will be fine without Casemiro. Yeah, I was wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he is quite clearly, can't, he is a can't-miss player. This team functions incredibly different, differently without him. I thought in single-game settings, they'd be able to kind of make up for that. Uh, they have not shown that they can do that. So I I think he is an extremely important piece. Uh, I will get Mikey, our producer, on finding that podcast and deleting it from the internet annals forever. Um, But no, I I agree. I think the minus 116 number looks great. And I'm I'm going to go with the the bet you gave Sal this time. I'm going to go (laughs) with the United clean sheet win at plus 255. Uh, Lee's problems leading up to Marsh's departure was mostly that looked like they were about to tighten up the defense. The attack just wasn't generating a lot of great chances. Obviously, if you don't score against nine and forest, that's an issue. Um, yeah, so I think the clean sheet of plus 255 seems very generous to say the well, least. Well, I was overly influenced by the amount of energy yesterday, and I and they still don't have Casemiro, who's got two more games under his yeah, suspension. suspension. So I'm taking United to win and both teams to score plus 240. Uh, United should have had three or four yesterday, so I'm not worried about the winning or, or that side of the equation. Um, and Leeds got lucky as we've already covered, but without Casemiro, can that adrenaline again, you know, just dis- can they dispossess Garnacho like they did yesterday and lead to a quick goal? Uh, I think overall, and we got to move on because we got two more games and only a few more minutes. Uh, but I do think this game is like a 10 hog referendum. Can he make the adjustments after what happened, even without Casemiro to better steal that midfield and, and cleaner transitions and not, you know, lose the ball that easily and, and get beat on the counterattack. So I'll be really interested to see how Ten Hag sets them up in this game. Yeah, and, uh, and just one, one thing too, because I'm a slave to the spreadsheets, but it was a 2-2 match. United's XG for the match 2.04, leads 
three. Yeah. So you're you're playing, even though no Casemiro, and with the early goal, the game state's obviously going to influence those numbers a little bit. But like this Leeds team still struggles to score. So I I do agree. I do agree with what you said. It's I don't think that one's in my five pint. If it is, I'm taking it out because you made some good points. Um, all right, we've already talked a lot about them in this podcast. So we're going to do the city match, but we're probably not going to do as much analysis since we covered it in the Spurs game and at the top of the show. They're second at 45 points. Uh, they're playing Aston Villa, 11th at 28 points. Game is Sunday at 10.30 a.m. City is minus 460. Villa is plus 950. The draw is plus 575. City minus a goal and a half is minus 160. Villa is plus 125. Um Obviously, City is facing the mother of all distractions, and we saw it with a team like Chelsea last year that was facing similar level distractions and how uneven their play was week to week. I do think they will absolutely show up versus uh, Arsenal next Wednesday, and this is a kind of look-ahead game for them, and I would love to take their opponent but after firing uh, Stevie G, like, is there a more anonymous team in the league than Aston Villa? <laughs> They're just all over the place as well. So they lose by two to Poole, then they beat Spurs by two the same week. They give up four to Leicester. Uh, earlier in the year, they lost four nil to Newcastle, and then beat Manchester United three one the next week. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think City could be anywhere. I think Aston Villa could be anywhere. If uh, I I have to make a pick, I'm going to back City at minus a goal and a half at minus 160 just because I, I can't back Villa. Um, <laughs> but I'm staying way away from this match. I will not be betting it. Uh, you know, I'm in Arizona right now. I won't be pulling up the app and, and firing in bets. Uh, I won't be putting it in my five pine. I won't be betting it, you know, at the pub. I won't be betting this match whatsoever. So uh, I, I'm forced to give a pick. That's my pick. Uh, my prop is Manchester City to win to nil. Uh, because the Holland goal scoring props are a joke, and I just have to find some way to even this number out. That's minus one hundred five. But as I said, I'm staying all the way away from this match. You're killing me, man. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'm going to go to my backup pick just to be different. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, I got City with the spread. Um, Villa experiments started out really interesting. He was playing Ings, who has been there. I mean, it's sad to say, but was their best kind of goal scorer. Uh, Buendia, and then four central midfielders. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Ings is now not even playing uh, for, for the team. Um, Buendia wasn't even included in the side. He might, I think he might actually hurt though. And then John McGinn has also been missing. It's just been very bad uh, since Unai Emery kind of had that interesting start with his tenure at Villa. Um, so yeah, fading them perfectly fine. Uh, I will change from the clean sheet to the exact scoreline. Cause what do you need in a week after a week you struggle to be? Two exact scoreline line bets because oh that's gosh. how you do things. That's how you do. Uh, 2-0 City plus 550. Um, it kind of gets you to both places. Definitely hard to trust City to run up the score. They definitely could. Um, and really hard to see that Villa's attack has been very hit or miss. So I kind of like the ranges of outcomes kind of merging into this exact scoreline of plus 550. All right. We got one match left and then the five pint, and then we'll get Mikey on to his next show. Um, but it's a match I know you want to talk about. So I'm going to do it really fast, and then I'm just going to clear out for you. Liverpool 10th at 29 points, Everton 18th at 18 points. This game is Monday at 3 p.m. Pool is minus 195. Everton is plus 525. The draw is plus 320. Uh, Pool minus a goal and a half is plus 135. Everton is minus 175. So I don't know where the bottom is for Pool. And I have no idea how Sean Dice did what he did so fast. Um, 
I, that's my big question for you. Like when a new manager comes in with a wildly different philosophy than the one before it, how do the players adjust so quickly in the first game to demonstrate that they are adjust, like taking that philosophy versus whatever the hell Lampard was trying to do? How did he do it with just a couple of training, um, training matches? So I want you to answer that, but I'm going to take draw at plus 320. I'm taking the coward's way out because I don't fully believe in Everton and I just can't back Liverpool for this week. I've been burned too many times and I'm taking <laughs> both to score no and minus 120 because Everton is 19th in the league in goals scored per game and that was before Sean Dyche. Uh, so with Liverpool struggle and with Dyche's tactics, both teams to score no at minus 120 is one of my favorite bets of the week. But how do you do uh- how does Sean Dice do it that fast? This is going to be, I think, a very big referendum on how bad of a manager Frank Lampard was, is what I think it's going to come down to. Uh, and Lampard have no structure. If you go through t- soccer tactics Twitter, which, man, that's a minefield. Um, but if you go over there, you know, you probably saw a lot of the same critique. There was no plan in the final third, no plan in the buildup, no, definitely no plan in terms of creating solid defensive structure. The thing that Dice does is he gets guys together collectively to defend. If Everton were, are going to survive, that's what they need to do. They just needed to shore up the defending. It was horrible this year. They were the, the second worst team as far as chances created. And th- like that was a classic Burnley performance against Arsenal. Every single shot Arsenal took, there was like four Everton defenders in front of it. Unlike Lampard, where it was like, here's this comedy of errors that leads to a one against Pickford. Yeah. You know, whether it was the buildup's fault, whether it was the way that their defensive structure yeah. was set up fault, um, it was just really, really bad uh, in terms of how unstructured and undisciplined they were in that end of the pitch. So I think it's not so much a, like, Dice performed some magic thing. He was probably like, hey, here's an actual plan on how to defend, and this is what we're going to do. And Lampard was more like, yeah, I'm going to start these guys. Just go run around like the Harry Redknapp. Just go run around for a bit. Um, So, yeah, I I think it wasn't any dice magic. I think it was definitely just you had a manager that has a plan, that has a thing that he does. He knows how to teach it. He knows how to implement it. It's a thing that works. I mean, it's sad that, like, Burnley with better players is kind of where a club that had Everton's financial power is going to be at right now. Um, but it's also not like a horrible place. Like that's a 12th place team. And given where Everton has been in the last 18 months, they would take 12th place. Um, and so for me though, I think Liverpool might be broken beyond repair. Um, I know there's some things in the data you can look at that could point the other, the opposite, but Everton at plus 525 to win. This is not a, I'm all in on Sean Dyche. He's the greatest thing since Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, look what happens when he's got a little bit more financial power than Burnley. This is a very anti-Liverpool bet. I don't think Liverpool can win this match consistently if you played it a hundred times. And you're getting a plus 525 number for a resurgent Everton team that I think we're going to see was massively held back by their previous manager. Um, and with that, I, I gotta do it, Toby. I haven't done I don't think I've done it. Defender to score. Which one? It's James Tarkovsky. Who else would it be? It's like Connor Cody. You take Connor Cody. Give me a break. If I want to pick a defender to score, it's not going to be Connor Cody. Oh, my uh, God. You think Tarkovsky's going to score in back-to-back matches? This is for Rich. Hell, yeah. James Tarkovsky, anytime goal scorer. Uh, I am influenced. One of the one of the good follows on Twitter is, uh, I think his name is Mark Thompson. He does a lot of cool stat stuff. He's got a Mark Stats Bot account that does some really cool like post-game aggregate of, of, of stats. 
um, that I would highly recommend anybody who's interested in that stuff check out. But he was putting out some information basically on Liverpool's set piece to climb. We have associated Liverpool, especially with Van Dyke, being great defensively and adding goals to their set piece attack. Over the last 18 months, they have slipped way more than I had any idea of. I knew they had been worse, but they have been really bad at not only creating chances for themselves, but conceding goals from set pieces. Now they lose their big man in the middle. Um, I just think that Everton, I mean, this is Burnley's thing. Tarkovsky generates shots. Tarkovsky almost has a shot a match. (laughs) Um, Everton runs their set pieces through him. I think Liverpool's super vulnerable in that area. It seems like if Everton's going to get a goal set pieces or a ball in the air, kind of on a second ball off a set piece could lead to that, those scramble situations. And he's plus 1200. And in my, my opinion, when your wingers are Alex Awobi and Demite McNeil, who don't shoot at the goal, <laughs> you're looking at Dominic Calvert-Lewin, maybe Decore who played as like a number 10, and then it's Tarkovsky. Like that's the third third best choice for a goal scorer on Everton. Oh and do you trust Liverpool to keep a clean sheet at this point? Heck no. So that's kind of where I went. And it's going to be crazy. It's very much, I need this to be clear. I am not buying into the Sean Dice propaganda. I need that out there. <laughs> I am buying into the Liverpool are probably broken beyond repair until they can get it the summer transfer window to figure things out. The fact that you just told me Tarkovsky is Everton's third best goal scorer makes me want to put my entire house on the both teams <laughs> to score no bets. Uh, the, the other one I would look at, and it's not posted because this is a Monday game, whenever they post the yellow card overs, uh, look at the over. Like Merseyside yeah. Derby's tend to be chippy. These are two really frustrated teams right yeah. now, and I can see this being a really ugly match. A red card also cards. could be very likely in this yeah. match. All right, uh, we really do have to go. So let's rip off the five-pint. You're up on me right now because you're the only one I want to bet. God, it's oh. really easy to be a guy at zero. Um, my, my first, my first blank one for I don't, I don't even know if I've ever. Got I don't think you've ever had a show. blank. Yeah. So holy hell, that was a bad week. Uh, turning it around this week though with the following five picks: Chelsea to win and the over, um, over one and a half is plus two hundred five. Jao Felix one shot on target minus one fifty. Manchester United win minus one sixteen. Uh, Liverpool Everton both to score no at minus one twenty. And the Spurs to score first half at minus one twenty five. How about you, pal? <sighs> it's happening, Toby. This is for you. Uh, I'm going. It's it's all Everton, basically. It's going to be Everton to win at plus five twenty five for a pint. Uh, Tarkovsky score plus twelve hundred. Anytime goal scorer. God, I hope that hits. That would be hilarious. Uh, I'm going to take a pint there. I'm going to take the United clean sheet win uh, with for a pint, and then the Spurs at plus uh, one eleven. Two pints for them to win outright. That's my five pint. Need a bounce back. And when you need a bounce back, you look for defenders to score. That's the rule <laughs> in gambling. It's what you do. That's how we do here at the Ghost of William Pot. Oh, my God. You're deep in the well of sadness. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, all right. Uh, hope everybody enjoys the games this weekend. I hope they are uh, more enjoyable than the ones that I didn't get to watch last weekend. Obviously, enjoy the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm on Chiefs money line for that game. I, I do believe in the first time quarterback thing or a team that doesn't have the core of the players that's played in the big game before versus the ones that have after watching John Elway sell sale balls 15 yards over people's heads during my childhood. It's always stuck with me. So that's my pick for that game. Brett, who do you like in the Super Bowl? Uh, well, I'm actually going to go with a prop bet. I saw the first touchdown being a rushing touchdown at plus 160. So come on, Pacheco. 
Let's go. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for Who you. Who cares about Mahomes and Hurts? Give me, give me Pacheco. Pacheco Tarkovsky parlay. Put it yeah. through the window now. Yeah. All right. Uh, enjoy the games, everyone, and we will be back next week with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, y'all.